Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the second episode of our Star Wars Lads news show. This is the Beggar's Canyon Dispatch, Episode 2. Uh, hopefully you guys are all enjoying this format here. We It's been about three weeks since we did our last episode, but last week, you know, in a busy week for all of us, where we were all going through Thanksgiving and all that type of stuff, we had some major news drop, so uh, we didn't get to do a news show last week, but we are going to cover it here right now. Make sure you send in your thoughts, your comments, your questions into the side here. We will give our thoughts on each of these news stories first, then we will go to all of your thoughts. So make sure you send them in if you'd like to support the channel via Super Chat. You're welcome to do so as well. We'd greatly appreciate any support. That is completely optional and up to you. And stay tuned for more live streams here in the future. If you haven't liked the video, it really helps us out. Comment below. Let us know your thoughts if you're watching our replay as well. Okay, let's start with the first topic. Sonic, what was the first topic of last week? So the one that it's on everyone's radar is that Dave Filoni has been officially promoted to CCO of Lucasfilm. So just to get a couple things out of the way, he's not like shifting away from creative work it's actually he's doubling down on it uh, the way he describes it in the vanity fair article that came out he's more just there to guide people to tell the best version of their stories if there's one thing that dave has been really like focused on as a star wars veteran at this point it's filling in the gaps he's kind of been there to correct some of the deficiencies in like the prequels and filling in the gaps for how a rebellion formed. I know we got Andor kind of covering that now too a little bit, but he was the first person to really showcase like, hey, this is where at least some significant rebel cell came about. And obviously with the Mandalorian working with Jon Favreau, he's connecting whatever he's worked on, but also introducing new ideas to what Mandalorians can be, what their future is like, why they're not a bigger part of the sequels or you know, non-existent in the sequels and whatnot and kind of working to build that first 10 years uh, after Return of the Jedi before The Force Awakens and the sequel trilogy really kicks off. So he's here to really just make the stories as best as they can be. You know, he's there to be a guiding voice at the beginning of the process instead of coming in later as like a consultant and be like, oh no, change this or that. He just wants to put people on the right road. I think that's the best way you can think about it. And I, I mean, I'm excited. I think this is something he was already kind of doing informally. Now that he's had enough experience, now that Ahsoka's been out, he's become, you know, a pretty notable name within the streaming wars and whatnot. So having someone who's still got that original link to George Lucas with today's Disney Star Wars era, I think is a fantastic piece of news. Absolutely. I completely agree. Dave Filoni has been one of the only pieces of connective tissue <laughs> that's been in Star Wars here for a long time. The story group, we kind of talked about this a bit on our stream the other day, our video game stream, if you want to tune into those every single Monday. Talked about this a bit. Dave Filoni is a level above the story group. People listen to him a bit more. He's been in the trenches. He's made now. Uh, he's made an animated film, but he's made multiple animated shows, made a live-action show, been an executive producer on multiple shows, been a writer on multiple shows. He's been around the business rather than just being in story, and so I think this is the perfect type of person to promote to this type of role. 
because he's respected for his work in Star Wars, but he's also respected for his knowledge of the universe. And I think in general, this should help Star Wars create a bit more singular product, something that continues to inter intertwine and weave the, the strands of, that other material has created. And, and uh, we know that Dave Filoni hasn't necessarily been the most observant of other canon outside of his stuff, but at least, you know, there's always been a defining line between film, live action TV, and then animated TV. And right now, I think the line being blurred between both animated and live action TV now becoming as important or sim on a similar level of story importance as live action film is uh, we're approaching that line to where seems like Lucasfilm is trusting somebody who's been in that in in that lesser side of Star Wars so to speak that for all these years right and now he's going to be helping contribute to a variety of topics and I think this is only going to be a positive for Star Wars and, and Filoni like you mentioned he's the one he's the only one there who's worked directly with George Lucas on story uh, you know some of the story group have been there for a long time some of the people in charge of different aspects of production have been there for a long time and worked with George Lucas, but Dave Filoni is the only one who actively ran a TV show with George Lucas. So <laughs> I do think if we want that connection, try to at least grasp a little bit of what made the first six Star Wars movies special, what makes them George Lucas, I think we've got a nice bridge here with the appointment of Dave Filoni as Chief Creative Officer. But let us know your thoughts in the chat here. Please send those in. We will answer your questions or send or feature your comments here in the chat about this topic. As we wait for the comments to roll in, Cynic, what's our next topic here? So our next topic is a little bit of a smaller one. It's not major news per se, but it is Daisy Ridley being interviewed and She's been going on about for a little bit of a press tour for her new film, I think The Marsh Daughter, and not the biggest reviews. Ben Mendelsohn's in it, you know, it's it's got some notable cast, but it, this is her first real role in a, quite a bit of time, and during the press circuit, people asked her about the new Jedi Order film, because obviously she was at Celebration 2023, she was announced as part of Charmaine Obeid's film, and, you know, this is the first time people are like, okay, so... The strike is over for both the writers and the actors. You're on this press tour. That was the big news. That everyone wanted to talk a little bit more about the summer. What's going on? Yeah, and she's you know she doesn't tell much, but she the biggest thing she says is that you know she was very happy to be back with the fandom. She didn't expect that reception. Nobody really knew she's coming there, and then when they showed up, everyone was just gave her so much love and support. But the story she thinks is very cool. She's read this. She still hasn't read the script properly, but she knows at least the story outline. And she says, it's not what I expected, but I'm very excited. And for me, that almost kind of signals maybe a little bit of support to some of the rumor mill that's been going around, how she's going to be more of a supporting character as opposed to the lead again for a whole new trilogy. I think it is a smart move. She doesn't, as a character, Ray have the greatest love in the fandom at this point we think that it over time will improve but this is also a story set 15 years after her biggest 
like story that we've gone like the center crux of her life being explained and you know being dealt with here so now that that's over are we just going to continue the same things now that she's also technically a skywalker because she took on the name no right i think that was always the biggest thing that lucasfilm really wanted to break away from the viability of a star wars trilogy or franchise and all that past the skywalker name and having a skywalker around doesn't negate that but maybe making them a supporting character while you know an academy of sorts a new jedi order obviously brings in the idea of the new jedi order books and just how well established luke skywalker's academy was before the yuzon vong invasion so are we going to get similarities there is there a big very different conflict than just good guys bad guys rebellion empire what's next right and uh, you know I'm, I'm excited i definitely am i i think having her be a supporting character and then still be able to have like a significant story line go through would be cool if the rumors of john boyega coming back are true and he's more let's say the lead of you know the first film and then you know they're more of like the co-leads of the second one or something that'd be awesome and she also made a point of mentioning you know the story is only there right now for the first you know we haven't really talked things about the trilogy but it's supposed to be the start of an era of something right so that that's that gives me a lot of hope and optimism that a lot of like the sequel trilogy's characterizations which were solid at parts could really have some time to breathe while still allowing these teenaged uh, young adult characters to really step into the roles as the new protectors of the galaxy give us a perspective of the galaxy Maybe it's fractured with different governments instead of just empire and the new, new republic or whatnot. So very excited for what's going to come out of it. It is definitely a small comment, but it's one that definitely gets the gears churning and everyone's heads like, oh, well, what exactly is going to happen? But I think regardless of what's going to happen, I think we're in a good position for Ray to grow and develop as a character without having the pressure and the wishy-washiness of like different writers wanting her to be a nobody, wanting her to be a Palpatine, wanting her to be something entirely else. Now she just gets to exist as a Jedi, as a Grandmaster, hopefully. We get to see her abilities develop, and maybe she has a cool thing with Ben Solo from the Netherworld of the Force or something. A lot of potential, and I think the time will certainly help because the reception immediately to her has been much stronger than it has in the last couple of years. Yeah, this is the most important Star Wars movie that might be made since A New Hope. <laughs> and I don't mean that in terms of story, but more so about the state of Star Wars in the existence of a post-COVID movie-going world, right? We, we live in a world where audiences aren't really returning to theaters unless it's something they very much so want to see, something that's a big event. We're even seeing stuff like Marvel, obviously, having big declines in box office, and but the one thing that has been consistent is the ones that are really good people have shown up for and you see that the summer with barbie and oppenheimer that event was created in that way and in a similar way guardians of the galaxy did really well because it was incredibly well received critically spider-man uh, no way home as well top gun but in general you fight when you release a movie in theaters right now you're fighting for every ounce of, <laughs> of attention you can get star wars i think no matter what if daisy ridley's new jedi order film is the first movie that comes out and we'll talk a little bit more about possible shifts and, and schedules and stuff later but if it is the first film to come out which i think it originally was 
and then it was pushed back to after Filoni's film, and then who knows now, but if it is the first one to come out, it will be automatically getting more people coming just because it's the first Star Wars movie in almost 10 years that will be in the theaters. So automatically it'll have a leg up. So it needs to be great. It needs to be great because people are mixed on these characters. People are mixed on the sequel storyline. People are mixed pushing past the sequels. And what do we do here in the future? You still have a Mark Hamill who's still alive. Could he be a part of the show, the movie as, as Luke Skywalker's force ghost your connections to the original Star Wars trilogy, the reemergence of Hayden Christensen, Ahsoka, all these things are in the air right now. And the new Jedi Order film has to cement why to care about Rey, Finn, Poe, any of the other sequel characters that are going to be in it as much as we care about that other that other group of characters. And And one of the reasons we care so much about that other group of characters is because there's so much story for them. So if we are to get more story for Ray, Finn, Poe, this movie has to deliver. And I'm on board for anything that makes it good. <laughs> I think it just needs to be good. I don't care what the plot is. I don't care who it's about. I don't care who's the main character. It just has to be good. And as long as it's good to great, I think we're in for a, a solid future here for these characters and for this post-sequel continuity. I do tend to believe it would be weird to me to announce this as a Ray movie without it being Ray as as at least a co-lead. Uh, I could see them creating another character to put in there. I know a lot of people have tossed around like especially in in videos like the one I made about Mara Jade being in canon like oh could what if uh, Mara Jade and Luke, they sent off Ben Skywalker out of the galaxy so that he's not killed. I, I don't think shoehorning another Skywalker into these movies is the right move. I don't think creating a new character that has some secret past that ties into the Jedi is the right move. I do think doubling down on Rey and Finn is the move. <laughs> you have to make people love those characters. And there's a lot of people who do. We both certainly like those characters, but I think there's still obviously a lot more groundwork to make them all-time Star Wars characters. And frankly, it's just because we only have three movies with them. There's been very little material outside of that. So if you deliver here, you could turn these characters into seminal Star Wars characters. You could turn the story into seminal Star Wars story. And, and for, I think the New Jedi Order has that possibility, like we're starting to see a bit now with the New Republic, with the reclamation of Hayden Christensen's Anakin with the pull-in of Thrawn, with the, with some of the ties to the sequels that they've had in The Mandalorian. There's a unity about Star Wars that somebody as a, a figurehead like Dave Filoni being the central piece of it can also establish, but that's on the TV side. Push that into the film side. Let's see a full unity backed by the backbone of Rey in this movie, and I think we can redeem this character really give her a lot of weight, give her a lot of stakes, show that aftermath. Why is it so important that she killed Palpatine, right? What does that mean for her? It was an ancestor of hers. How does she grapple with her dual identities? There are a lot of things out there that you can definitely, definitely push at with this character. And really the only emotional crux that this character had in the sequel trilogy was a relationship with Ben uh, Solo. I would like to see him return. Um, and, and I think in general, this 
this movie is very exciting to me because of its endless possibilities. Every time you make a sequel, there's endless possibility for the future. I can't wait to see what they've come up with for this. Yeah, absolutely agree. And just as like a final note, I think people are forgetting that there's a whole generation of kids who grew up on the sequel trilogy who have been dying to see their Star Wars come back, right? The original trilogy wanted that, didn't get it. The prequel trilogy didn't exactly get that, but we at least got an animated fill-in, some sort of continuation with those characters that arguably have made them way more impactful in their biggest storyline than even the original trilogy characters just because of how much of the Clone Wars really changed how we view and engage with Star Wars. But yeah, we live in an era that we have these big streaming services and seeing a New Republic show and seeing Thrawn all that... I'm sure there are kids who are like, I can't wait to see a Ray. I can't wait to see a Finn or Poe again. Like these are the characters that introduced them to Star Wars, and like any Star Wars generation, they had the right and desire to want them to be back. So I think they those people will definitely show up. Those kids will show up now as they're becoming teenagers and young adults, and they're gonna have the same love and excitement that we did, and fight for their characters just like us prequel fans did. And I hope that, you know, us being prequel fans, we can at least be part of that fandom that isn't there to just immediately dismiss anything they want of the characters and just say, this is bad, this, our Star Wars is good. I hope to be, you know, one of those um, forebears on this channel and be like, hey, your Star Wars is with the Star Wars I'm excited for. I hope you love my Star Wars. Star Wars is Star Wars is for everybody. So I hope that we can give them the support and I hope that they get the product that they deserve to have these characters appear in live action again right as a direct continuation that'd be so awesome it's it's unprecedented if it happens so i hope that like you said this is the film that really knocks it out of the park that feels like an event but i also hope that the fandom is willing to let a lot of these kids come in and be excited instead of just Im immediately shutting them down because you don't like ray you don't like poe or whatever else right so if you're on this channel in five years and you somehow find this live stream, just know that we've been here from day one. We're supported. We're excited just like you are. Maybe not the same way, but we're definitely here to elevate your voices as Star Wars fans. It's a good point, too, because the fact that a lot of these kids will have been six, seven, eight years old when these movies come out and now will be 18, right? 17, 16. That's a huge jump. And that's what Star Wars has always relied on. That's why the massive gap between the prequels and sequels really led to a whole different conversation around Star Wars. I think we're going to see a vastly different side of, of appreciation for the Star Wars films that Disney has made and TV shows that Disney has made here coming at the end of the 2020s. Yeah, totally agree. But let's move on to our next tidbit here. Uh, if you guys are reading the title, it says... Disney Plus scheduling. We kind of had to cram a couple things here, but the focus of that here is that originally when our 2023 slate came out, what was already in the pipeline for 2024 and late 2023 was Skeleton Crew, that sort of show that's been billed as Stranger Things in Space that was shown at Star Wars Celebration, a little bit of a trailer there. That's definitely not coming out in 2023. At this point, we should have had a massive marketing campaign, especially for a show that has no recognizable characters like it, it definitely needs that um, but there are rumor, rumors being milled around 
some you know documentation everything been floating their best been bulletin and a bunch of other these stars informants as we should call them they have noticed that there's some like licensings for may there's some rumors that the those you know items those kid toys games or whatever else tie-in media is starting to start coming out in may but then there's some other you know not exactly same news but saying like hey we're hearing from insiders that the show is actually now marketed for winter 2024 right instead of winter 2023 which it is a bit of a long wait that is unfortunate but what that actually opens up is the fact that acolyte that big high republic late high republic era show that's been you know done filming for quite a while that has a huge story group behind it like we discussed in uh, our last bcd episode that could become like the centerpiece that could be the show coming on in like a late march early may time frame that could be the star wars thing for 2024 and in some ways i think that is a bit more exciting i think we need to let ahsoka kind of sit and simmer right now we've had like a lot of like the hype kind of die down and then we've had like a little bit of a surge of like people being like oh my god this was not good that was like the same thing as a kenobi or something for us i'm sure with time this new republic storyline what people are looking for what they're being interested in will kick into gear again and being able to have a skeleton crew be after the acolyte not only gives time but then gets us much more closely tied into mandalorian season four you know there's been all that big news of pedro pascal being cast in fantastic four as reed richards and all that so now the question is is he again just going to be doing the lines is he never going to take off the helmet ever again well having that be a little bit delayed and then having skeleton crew be pushed an entire year to make sure it's perfect to make sure it's closely tied in uh, with another new republic show that could be really good for both of the shows and what narrative they're trying to progress from ahsoka while letting ahsoka have its time to breathe and you know we're big the higher public fans on the channel we just had the eye of darkness review go out a couple weeks ago phase three is in full swing but it's definitely paced out a lot more evenly than phase one and phase two were and we can't wait to see if there's even like potential like story connections in those books to what's in the acolyte it's been described as leaning on some of those characteristics of those books has an entire character vernessa Rowe from the book in the show but it's built as very different as like a whoosh inspired show and all that it it's not going to be the star wars that we know it's it feels like with the level of production with the level of talent with the time and like the rumblings that have been increasing over time it feels very much like something that could become an almost and or s quality show like a critically acclaimed serious drama and i i'm absolutely excited for something like that that doesn't have to exactly feel like a tony gilroy show but can now branch us off into an entirely different genre of what a star wars show can be massively excited for this actually honest this whole switch to bring the acolyte up forward to then push skeleton crew to be paired with mandalorian season four i think is a very smart move i think disney in general has been trying to restructure reshuffle and spend a little bit more time on projects that need them and i'm i'm excited to say that i think with the lack of like oh we need reshoots we need all this and that around the acolyte they're they're confident and i I'm, i can't wait to see that as soon as possible absolutely i do think more so than wanting to see the acolyte because the acolyte 
out of all the shows they have left coming out that they've announced, by far the one I'm most ex- anticipating. Like, I think that's going to be something that, good or bad, I'm pretty hyped for the Acolyte. Maybe it's because it's the biggest unknown, right? Like, I know what I'm getting from The Mandalorian Season 4. I know what I'm getting from a possible Ahsoka Season 2. I know what I'd be getting from Boba Fett. I know what I'd be getting from Skeleton Crew. But I don't know what I'm getting with the Acolyte. We haven't seen any footage. We haven't seen any trailers. We know what the High Republic feels like like 50 years before the Acolyte comes out. But we don't know what it feels like at the end of it. The bridge between the prequel timeline, the fall of the Republic, and the end of the High Republic. So visually, tonally, what the dark side is doing, because I'm always a dark side guy, Acolyte being moved up is is something that I'm incredibly, incredibly anticipating because it's it is been it's been probably a top two I would say it's my it was probably my third most anticipated Star Wars show when they did that announcement in 2020 after Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. Now it's easily the one I'm most excited for. Cannot wait for it. And I do think it's a very, very smart business move to push Skeleton Crew back. Uh, with you know that there's been that narrative out there like you mentioned about the Star Wars shows having a decline in viewership, even though a lot of that is a skewed narrative, comparing, because uh, what's that What's that chart again called um, that does the numbers? Uh, Samba TV, I think. Yeah. There was, enough, there was another one. Uh, Nielsen, Nielsen ratings. Yeah. The Nielsen ratings don't take into account different seasons of a show. So Mandalorian, see, their views are way up here, but there's three seasons of the show compared to Ahsoka with one season. Obi-Wan, it's hard to compare Ahsoka and Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan is a character that film-going audiences know very well. Ahsoka is a very hard show to compare to anything and or there's double the episodes. So uh, it's just, it's a tough thing to compare, especially with the bubble bursting on streaming right now. The fact that we've now pretty much officially moved out of the pandemic. There was a good two years where the streaming bubble was going to continue to grow no matter what because people were at home doing nothing and paying for nothing besides streaming. Now everybody's canceling their streaming as streaming prices have gone up. People are canceling canceling their services. They have to pick and choose which ones they want most. I think with a specialty content place like Disney Plus, it seems more likely that a lot of people who have been canceling Disney Plus have been doing so just because they're waiting for an accumulation of a bunch of shows to watch at once rather than waiting for each new thing or maybe they're only a singular star wars fan versus singular marvel fan and there's only star wars every six months i don't know there's a variety of reasons why this could all be happening but if you just want to look at the the brass tacks and say okay ahsoka wasn't as highly viewed and uh andor wasn't as highly viewed and those were two more original ips versus mandalorian season three or Obi-Wan, which I wouldn't even count as an original IP because you're just taking a show or a character who's been in the six most famous movies from this franchise and putting them in a TV show, then you take a show like Skeleton Crew and say, okay, it's already a tougher sell. The name doesn't necessarily scream Star Wars, but the Star Wars audiences out there, people like us, if any people from Lucasfilm check out shows like ours in here, what we're most excited for, right? The fandom in general is far more excited for Acolyte and Andor than they are for Skeleton Crew because of the way it's described. And, and, you know, maybe we get a trailer. It's awesome. Everybody 
says that's my most anticipated show but i do think pairing it with the mandalorian especially because it ties into the new republic as we inch closer and closer to the new republic film coming out or at least details about it coming out in 2025 especially at uh, i assume celebration japan there will be ton of details about the films and possibly the future of ahsoka ahsoka season two all of that type of stuff as we inch closer to that timeline, I think it makes more sense to put Skeleton Crew out in a time of hype and anticipation towards the New Republic era versus just randomly dropping it kind of in the middle of nowhere and hoping it carries Star Wars. <laughs> and really the only the only thing going for it if you were to drop it in February is that it's been four months since we've had a Star Wars show. But I do think Acolyte will hold up You'll have trailers with lightsabers, and that will sell a lot better than trailers with a bunch of kids floating in space in a spaceship with Jude Law. Uh, so anyway, those are my thoughts on Skeleton Crew. I am very excited for both. I think Acolyte is going to be pretty awesome here. Oh, we did get a super chat from Travis Mistral. Thank you so much, Travis. That was very nice of you. I don't believe there's a question attached to it. I don't see a question, but it's just a donation. Thank you very much. If you want to just drop a question, we'll go for it. <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you so much. We appreciate that. All right, well, we have one more topic to get to, and then we'll answer all of your guys' comments and questions. Uh, Senek, what was the last topic to get to here? So this one is a little bit more of a semi-confirmed, semi-not-confirmed thing. But it is one that, as we sort of continue to build out our channel and build out our almost completionist tendencies that we have as Star Wars fans here, uh, that's become like really interesting for me. And it's that the current mainline Star Wars runs that have started in 2020 uh, all appear to be coming to an end. Now, if you've been keeping up with current Star Wars lines, like everything right now is set between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And that is a lot smaller of a time period than A New Hope and the Empire Strikes Back, but we managed to have way more, way more story fit in. We've had so many crossovers between the main lines and all that. I think in general, even if you really enjoyed this era, like they're having some great arcs in every single series, it is becoming a bit of like, okay, are we, are we finishing up here? Like just how much happens? Is it like every day someone is just fighting and jumping across the galaxy and whatnot? Uh, but we've had some interesting confirmation like for example the main writer for the second afro line Alyssa wong confirmed on twitter that the her run ends on the 40th issue in january 2024 which is you know pretty interesting it's a, i think it's maybe exactly the same amount of issues as the first afro run which yeah awesome cool to see there that it's gonna at least have a comparable amount of length as opposed to the two vader main lines with this big, big one that we're getting from Greg Peck. But we've also seen from the solicits that Bounty Hunters 42, which has had various Bounty Hunters, as the name implies, but really has been focusing on uh, a character like Valance for, for so long, is apparently ending with a jumbo-sized issue 42. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like those are like the two, those are two of the longest ones that have been running we don't know anything about stars yet. We don't know anything about Vader yet. And those could be things that still continue on. We might be truly seeing the Afro storyline and more of the underworld stuff with the bounty hunters kind of coming to a close, like maybe two, three months before the events of Return of the Jedi, while we still allow for 
the Darth Vader line and the Star Wars line story to continue just up until Return of the Jedi. I think that is more than likely what's going to happen. I don't see them not dragging it out. And I think it is, it's far more realistic to just have, a, if we're going to have another crossover, be between those series because it's a family affair there, right? Uh, but what, I, I, what I'm most excited for is that this implies that we might be jumping to the next era. And that could be after Return of the Jedi. And that has been an era that has been vastly, vastly untouched in canon since the early, the mid to late 2010s, right? With 2015, 2016, we had like, what, Aftermath, we had Shattered Empire for comics, stuff like that. We've had immediate things after Return of the Jedi, and then we've had The Mandalorian. Now, the question is, of course, are they going to really flesh out that era? Is that off? Is that like untouchable because, you know, the Mandalorian creators and all that wanted working on that era personally i don't think so i think their starting point is always going to be the mandalorian they can reference things before and later seasons and whatnot but you still need to see like the structure of the new republic to come out you need to still see like what akara dune was doing just as the new republic was starting clearing out things a little bit more of the seedier stuff that the early new republic was dealing with and you can have these characters change into who we see in the mandalorian like for example Luke in Return of the Jedi is not wandering across the galaxy as like a like a Ronin and helping people out wherever he wants. I would think he'd be playing a little bit more closer to a lot of legend storytelling where he's still with Han and Leia and doing things there. You know, we could also see some cool things with early young Ben Solo, right? We could see some of the initial steps away from her Jedi training that Leia undergoes and how she integrates herself more fully into this new republic era maybe we get to see some interesting story about mon mothma especially because she's become such a big elevated character there's a lot of potential with these comics to do things that are not the traditional storylines that we've been getting in the era between episode four and five and between five and six and that's what makes me really excited the question remains are we actually going to jump into that are we just going to jump into a different era that they want to start off with like a sequel era stand uh mainline series that could be cool too, but I, I still think that, that first five years with the material that we have around there, you can make some really interesting stories. You could still continue the Aftermath crew with Snap Wexley and everyone else and their storylines there. There's, there's a hell of a lot of potential there to really build out the, the New Republic. As it is right now, it's just, hey, Mando shows up and things start going crazy after he finds this little green toad. So uh, I, I personally am excited to see just what our heroes have been doing and what our emerging villains are going to be like right after Return of the Jedi. Absolutely. I don't think I can add too much there, but I think the fact that Aftermath doesn't really include any of the main characters from Star Wars, it's a whole new cast of characters, leaves incredibly large amounts of space for messing around with new story for Han, Luke, Leia, Definitely want more Ben stuff, but I, I, yeah, I don't see Ben really coming into the fold here until even post whatever's happening with Thrawn in, uh, in the shows. But you're, you could be right. It could be either right after Return of the Jedi. That could be a shorter run we go on. We've been going. It's crazy that these runs have been going for almost four years now. <laughs> and so we haven't had any main lines really carry this long. These are the longest of all the main lines, uh, even... Even if you want to count 
2015 Star Wars, it switched between three writers at, over its entire run. So the fact that we have now in the 40s a, a run in Star Wars in the 40s of issues by one author, that is pretty impressive. A run getting into the 40s of Darth Vader by one author, also with Afra, because Afra switched writers as well. So these have all been a consistent mandate. I always felt like they were, they started in 2020, which was the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. Now it's 2023, the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. I think it makes sense to close these down. And it's only a one year gap, so there's only so much story you can really tell there. Hopefully, as we push on, we can get more. I, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if it is post. I, I think we could see the post immediate post-Return of the Jedi stuff from a couple years, but as soon as that Filoni movie comes out, I think they switch gears, and it's all about post-Thrawn and Mandalorian and that whole story, because that's that seems to be when the New Republic gets the most interesting. And it's also going to be continually interesting to see how they track and how they tell the story of Han, Luke, and Leia up to and during the events of Ahsoka, the New Republic movie, The Mandalorian, because... We know a little bit about what Luke's doing. We know Leia's a senator who is helping Hera get out of some jams. We don't really know anything else about these characters. And as much as I think most fans seem okay now with a recasting or at least some type of CGI uh, de-aging for minor roles in these stories, I don't know if they're willing to tackle that. I still, my, still, my preferred version would be to do it in books, but we'll see. <laughs> but I think this is exciting. This I feel like this timeline has gotten a, a bit stale. This this one year gap between Empire and Return of the Jedi. There are a lot of things that are interesting about it, but we've kind of told those stories at this point. And I do think, uh, especially for something like Bounty Hunters, it would be nice to shift and see where these characters are at at post Return of the Jedi. Same with Afra post Return of the Jedi. What is she doing? Where is she? What? Why is she not around? Really, the events of of the series. Uh, and as that character, I think as we start to see more and more characters make transitions from books and comics into film and TV, it, she's one that's primed, obviously, to do so. And, and we'll see if her story can get picked up somewhere else. We'll, we'll move into your questions now. We'll start with Travis's because he sent in a super chat. Thank you so much again, Travis. Pop your question up here on the screen. says, hope you all are well. Excited for Acolyte. And think one marketing mistake was these show with these shows was dropping the a Star Wars story from some of the project. It's better communicate standalone stories. That's an interesting point, Travis, because that's something that I think they gave up on after Solo because of Solo semi bombing at the box office. Although it did okay if they hadn't made the movie twice, but uh, since they made the movie twice and they had the biggest budget of any Star Wars movie ever. It didn't make its money back. But when you look at the only two examples, right, Cynic, of using a Star Wars story, one of them was an incredible success that they had no expectations of making a billion dollars, which was Rogue One. They, I think they would have been happy with a 600 or $700 million movie with Rogue One, and it made over a billion dollars. And then the other was Solo, which I think they thought, okay, it's Han Solo, we'll make a billion dollars, and it didn't. So uh, what do you think about including a Star Wars story for shows instead of the movies? I think it would be interesting. I don't know if I would necessarily call it a Star Wars story because I think a Star Wars story kind of was more standalones. I know Rogue One isn't. It's like a retcon of a film, right? And 
you know, Solo could be better stated as like an origin story, like Star Wars Origins, but then we get into that whole thing of like, what other origin films do people know with that subtitle? Like X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is not not a great comparison to be in, right? So I, I don't remember what the original name was before Star Wars Story. It was like Star Wars Anthology or something. It was Anthology, yeah. Yeah, and I I always thought that was better. It's it's a little bit of a big boy word, I guess, for some people. So maybe that's <laughs> why they moved off of it. But for like these shows like an Ahsoka, for like a Mandalorian and all that, I would, you know, I'd like you know, maybe instead of, like, a Star story, like, a New Republic story, right? Like, to tie us directly to that era, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the title, but it can be in a lot of the marketing, and that could get people to be like, okay, like, I'm not, because con- there was so much confusion for people about Maul showing up in Hanzo. They're like, isn't he dead? Like, what's going on? All that, right? So that that's not the best example of what a Star Wars story could have been. And Rogue One still wasn't truly its own thing it was tied to the original star wars film so if you're gonna go with this second title i feel like it should be connected to if you're gonna connect it to something else it should be connected to an era uh if it's not i i think it's fine to just call it what it is just solo right and if it was just and it it was just rogue one i think it would have worked fine too i don't think a star wars story is why that film became big it became big because they saw a lot of the iconography they saw tarkin's head they saw the death star they saw sagarera they they saw these cool looking debt troopers and all that right so i don't think the darth vader. naming yeah obviously darth vader and you know ben mendelson with that white suit with the gun looking out he in that trailer especially he is ferocious and then you know them running on the beach and everything with the at I think it's it's not technically AT AT it's an AT ACT I think some variation or whatever like yeah like you saw you saw that and you got hyped I I don't think the title of being Rogue One a Star Wars story made that difference to me personally but for the shows I agree I think you could use some version of that especially with the amount that's coming out because an Obi Wan Kenobi can just be an Obi Wan Kenobi but all these skeleton crew and all this and that like why would I care about it. Oh, it's a New Republic story. Okay, so that's kind of tying, or like, you know, it could be like the subtitle being like the Thrawn campaign or something, right? As we move deeper and deeper into that story, that that could be cool. Ultimately, though, I think these just these names are just a little unnecessary. In some ways, they became confusing. Um, I I don't know what they're gonna do with them. I don't know if they will ever, but you know, if they have to, I say eras. That's that, in my opinion, is the strongest way of using them. I don't think that's a bad idea either. I think it's something you can't really start now with the Mandalorian, but maybe post <laughs> post the film, they could, whatever the Mandalorian relaunch show is, because there will be, I guarantee you, there will be Mandalorian content post the endgame for whatever Din Djarin's story is. Even if it's not Din Djarin-focused, they've developed the Mandalorians, the iconography of the Mandalorians is so strong now you can put any Mandalorian in and, and make a show as long as it's relatively, you know, it, it has to be good, but if it can capture the, the spirit of this Mandalorian show and then Din Djarin shows up once in a while to make cameos, that's great. Um, but I, I do think the, I think the A Star Wars Story thing was necessary. I personally never loved the A Star Wars Story tag, um, but I know that's kind of being biased from 
within the like the fandom we all know what it is right so i don't yeah. need that but i think it is a smart business move to have that part of some type of star wars tag a part of it um but in general i do think they'll reserve that for the films i don't think we've seen the end of a star wars story it's funny because they went from like okay let's try to make these a little bit more like sophisticated titles like rogue one or we won't do Han Solo, we'll do Solo and drop the Han, but we'll add a Star Wars story to it, to now they're just like, screw it, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the title of the show, not Kenobi. Um, and uh, I feel like they've, you know, almost lost a little bit of trust in like, okay, do people not know, we did it, we called it Solo, but do people not know it was Han Solo? Maybe we need to call it Obi-Wan Kenobi so people know it's not just some random Kenobi. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I, I do think, I do think including Star Wars in the title, at least, I mean, Star Wars pops up when you see a trailer for Ahsoka, it says Star Wars in small letters and then it says Ahsoka, right? But, um, I do think maybe including Star Wars as a bigger part of the title might be better for enticing people to watch these shows. Uh, Travis also sent in one more question we'll answer, and then we'll get back to the top here. Said, I loved Aftermath, especially the first book. It would be great to have a second Aftermath trilogy post-Rise of Skywalker, though it's unlikely we'll get Chuck Wendig back. Glad you loved the first book of Aftermath. That is definitely one of my least favorite of the canon Star Wars books, but I appreciate your perspective. Glad you really liked it. Uh, I loved the, the last book. That was my favorite of the trilogy. I think Chuck Wendig did a good job, personally. We just did a tier list for Star Wars canon novels. You can check that out if you want to see where we rank all of them, but... Wendig does a pretty good job with character. I like his attempts at character, and I do like a lot of the interludes and the lore he builds with, and uh, plot in general. Like I, I, The thing about Aftermath, to me, the first book is a little plotting. It's a little too much exposition, but the main thing about Wendig that I never loved was I just... He uses too many similes and metaphors that compare things to real world, and I just like it would always take me out, and I... Uh, I, yeah, that, so his language with Star Wars, I didn't personally love, but other than that, I wouldn't be opposed to more aftermath with those characters here in the future. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to see if maybe this Rangers of the New Republic idea kind of gets more fleshed out in the books. I don't think we'll ever get a Rogue Squadron book series again. But if we can get a lot of the same mentality, but with these different types of rangers, like the ones that are stationed, like Cara Dune, but then the ones that she goes on to like an elite task force, right, essentially, right? We could see that. We could see characters that we saw in like Battlefront 2, right, with the remnants of Inferno Squad as they became uh, rebel fighters and what they could mean post-battle post Jakku. We could see like, you know, what are these people who are like essentially able to flash a badge and then take on any missions that they want and it's you know it's a lot more secretive stuff while still having tie-ins with like what's you know space uh, starfighter squadrons are having to do like eating aerial assists and all this and that right so yeah but you know i i i i believe that it can become you know something what a different author i don't know if we'd call it an aftermath per se Right? It would be like a Rangers of the New Republic series or something to have these characters that are in comics and all that kind of be playing into it and still having these interludes and all that happening. I think that's the best part of Chuck Winding right now. Even though he is a polarizing figure uh, he in the Star Wars fandom, 
he did leave a lot to mine from those books. Mm -hmm. Like Ray Sloan has nothing to do with the shows right now, but even though she's arguably the only one equivalent to Thrawn right now, and that being like a very excellent foil, what she's doing is she, she's with the supposed proto first order, but she doesn't seem like she's hinted at what Brendel Hux and all that are going to bring her back. Are we going to get more story out of her? We could have an aftermath, but instead of being about the good guys kind of, as the main majority of POV, we could have a lot of like the bad guys and a lot of their infighting, a lot of how like some of these smaller groups are swallowed up or destroyed, right? While we still have the bigger groups fighting out in live action, all that. There's there's a lot of potential for a sort of aftermath of Thrawn, but we'll see. You know, it, it's it's money always goes toward a show or a game or something in my mind as a better investment for some people, but. We've seen the High Republic turn that into something fantastic. So having a sort of aftermath initiative with the bad guys, this very imperial structure or like what they're changing into could be a really fascinating read. Yeah, good. I wonder if, uh, you know, if we ever get something about Ray Sloan maybe being the first supreme leader of the First yeah. Order, you know, because Brindle Hux is, is um, the lackey, you could say, on the Shadow Council, but maybe... That's too small time for Ray Sloan. She's the top top now that Gallius Rax is dead. Anyway, uh, we'll move back to the top here. Balin says Dave is a good choice for CCO. Completely agree. Also says almost every episode Dave has been a part of writing. He has included the sequels even though people claim he's retconning it. So it's nice to see someone like him care for the majority. Hey, I, I, th I do think Dave Filoni... I think coming from a fandom of legends, right? I think a lot of people, us included, who have followed Star Wars for a long time, we just always appreciate some cohesion. Doesn't matter if the stories are good or bad. I think we more appreciate when you give credence and try to make them better than just acting like they never existed. And so, uh, I don't know Dave Filoni's stance on the sequels, but I do appreciate that he does try at least to help them improve and continually um, puts story in there that could actually benefit whenever we do get our official like show leading up to the sequels like we got for Clone Wars or Rebels um, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And like the only point of like retconning that he does, I would say is if he's written the story or he has plans for that story, yeah. uh, that's when he's like, okay, uh, not exactly. Like the Ahsoka novel, from E.K. Johnson, a lot of it feels overwritten by Tales of the Jedi and obviously Season Mandalore, and I can't entirely blame him. You know, he gave the ideas, she worked on it, but he never, like, really wanted that to be in the book form. I think the post-Season Mandalore stuff, sure, but even he doesn't seem like he wanted it to play out exactly that way. And I think that was less egregious. Like, yeah, it's a solid novel for a lot of people. It sucks that it's gone, but I'll take Season Mandalore any day, and know what that meant for the Star Wars fandom and as a Clone Wars enthusiast for that being completed um, not the biggest fan of the Kanan comics the like the yeah. origin of the Order 66 attack uh, separating him and Depa and starting him on his journey like that's it's different you it's it feels unnecessary for him to have known the Bad Batch it feels unnecessary to me that we brought back uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and he's trying to do like a 13 year old voice and it's just not good right um 
it's like fine. It's just, he's a popular character. That was the last animated show. You want to have some tie-in, whatever. Fine, right? Like I guess his model was in Siege of Mandalore too. But it, you could have still done that same story with nighttime. You could have had the Bad Batch interact before and then have all the things go on with the different soldiers in the company. And then, yeah, it would have been fine. So that that was one of our first videos on this channel that blew up. We're like, <laughs> is Filoni, like, why did he do that, right? Um, and he hasn't blew really up, done meaning, that. Meaning, like, he, we got, like, 75 views. views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> blew, blew up for, like, a 50-sub channel at that point, right? But, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was like our first like real consideration of like what is it belonging like and we had people saying oh he's gonna retcon everything no it's just the stories that he wants to write like that he's already kind of like squared away for himself yeah yeah i think you should be a little wary about some of those things right but yeah as like we've seen with mandalorian season three praetorian guards and all those things being hinted at with the first order the shadow cancer and all that no he's he's appreciative that he's building towards that he was literally a consultant on all three of those films there's he i feel like an animated show a comic you know people will be like yeah that happened in legends too when you start overriding an entire movie while working for the same company that made those movies you don't right. really get the funding for that guys i i i'm sorry but that's just delusion <laughs> right yeah the canon thing is the biggest retcon in canon so far uh, the Ahsoka stuff, like, I can live with in my headcanon. I mess around with it, and it's it can still fit. Uh, but the two biggest retcons in canon by far, I think Kanan is number one because it completely changes the story. It retells the exact same story and completely changes it. The other one is one that not, not really anybody talks about because most people haven't read the novelizations of the sequels, but uh, the fact that Finn and... Or, I mean, Poe and Rey meet in The Force Awakens novelization and then in the last jedi they introduced themselves <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty big uh, retcon as well uh, all right moving on to batasai says hey guys good to see you just finishing a rewatch of the holdovers so my heart is full i just saw the holdovers the other night it's a great movie i did really love it i'm actually gonna go see that in like a couple hours too so i'm, I'm quite excited it looks oh, very nice. cozy nice winter it night. is definitely a christmas new christmas classic i loved it uh, did not like i like alexander payne I, i'm a pretty big fan of a lot of his work i really i love nebraska nebraska was one of the first movies back in came out in 2013 and i was just really getting into like watching all the critically acclaimed oscar movies at the time uh finding finding time to make oscar season like a part of my yearly tradition and i saw nebraska and that was a huge surprise and so not, uh, none of his movies since Nebraska I've liked as much until The Holdovers, and I thought The Holdovers was really great. Mr. Spock says, My Target edition of The Rising Storm just arrived, and the double-sided poster was still inside. That's awesome. I do have the Target edition as well. It's the my favorite cover, maybe, of the entire High Republic. I really love that cover. I wish I wish they stopped doing that. It was The, uh, the Rising Storm, and Out of the Shadows had two alternate covers and for target editions and then there's been no alternate cover since then unless you buy the you know the super expensive uh out of print versions or you can get the sprayed pages uh if you do the goldsboro signed editions um but yeah that's awesome glad that came that way batasai says acolyte i'm very hyped about that show glad you are so are we <laughs> very much so 
Mr. Spock123 says, I'm so hyped for the Acolyte. Really hope the cast were correct in saying the fight sequences are on the same level as the prequels. Also, live action, older Vernestra is awesome. Completely agree with that. I can't wait to see Vernestra, I think. Vernestra is a character who's, like, very, she's very interesting in the High Republic stuff we've gotten of her so far, but you can you always feel that the, she's just kind of simmering still. And I think we're going to get a lot of big yeah. stuff for her in Phase 3, but she's yet to really graduate to that level of being insanely powerful and insanely important. Like, they are building her up to be her huge reveal that she got and out of the shadows of like a very important role we've had nothing about in almost two years. So uh, hopefully, hopefully that's yeah. followed up on. We're, we're getting a junior novel, I think at the start of the year with escape from Valo, which I'm, I like Ram or Ram Jamoram as much as everyone else, but uh, the young adult one with uh, Vernestra, I think it's like three months later. That's the one that I'm like, okay, that's like the next big thing in phase three that I'm really excited for. Yeah, she's, it feels like she's going to have, like all these characters, right? Like it feels like they're going to have a major shift uh, with who they are and some will thrive and continue into the Jedi and shape it into what we see in the prequels eventually. Some will leave, you know, there's that whole Trennis thing is Master Trennis, the same as Key Trennis, right? Like, and she's the main star of the High Republic Marvel comic line, so... Yeah, phase three seems like we're we're setting up some characters for some interesting progression of their story. But Vernestra, no matter what, I feel like even if she doesn't become one of like the, the top three characters in terms of impact, she'll easily become top five because of where she left it out of the shadows. Because that is still the most unique thing about the High Republic that has been left untouched so far. Absolutely. Caleb Richardson says, I wonder if and when they move on from the time between the OG trilogy movies, will the main Star Wars comics switch to the time between episodes one and two? Because that's a treasure trove of story material. Hey, Caleb, I think that's a great idea as well. If we don't go post episode six or post Mandalorian, we need a main line in between one and two. Like we absolutely do. It's one of the most explored times <laughs> during the old legends. There's so many books and whole sets of junior novels that really explore Anakin and Obi-Wan. And we got nothing in canon. We have one miniseries. So uh, <laughs> please, please, please give us more story there. Young Anakin, like that, I mean, Anakin is obviously not just different because he's 10 years older in between one and two. But he's has a completely different temperament and personality than he does in from the Phantom Menace to he, who he is in Attack of the Clones. Let's see that suppression of his his youth and vigor and his excitement. We'll see the weight of the uh, the chosen one burden being put on his shoulders. We'll see how he's dealing with being the oldest kid in a group of younglings. See how Obi Wan's inexperience as a master weighs on him. There's so much to tell there. Bring back Jude Watson. Let her do it. Uh, we need we need story there i i wouldn't mind that at all like I, I think having people familiar with that era but now having a little bit more understanding of like what we're trying to build to would be awesome the the only issue with those junior novels is that it is so focused on obi-wan and anakin and random planets and conflicts and it has some jedi apprentice tie-ins it's not bad but i always felt that jedi apprentice felt weightier meatier for me than jedi quest ever did it's unfortunate. I know, I know, like, in Legends, too, like, Anakin has a connection with 
Thrawn to a degree from the start because of the whole outbound flight stuff with him and Obi-Wan being on the actual flight and then hopping yeah. off because uh, Palpatine is like, oh, of course, I need these Jedi specifically to come right now, <laughs> right? Which, I mean, all part of his own plans to get rid of Jor Sabbath and a numerous amount of Jedi, and which I still think is one of the coolest Legends plot lines to take someone who's so arrogant but truly in some ways is building out the future of the Jedi in its own strange, twisted way, right? And then having Palpatine be like, that's interesting. Okay, now that you're gone, I'm not as interested. I, I'll take advantage of the situation. That, that was always cool to me. But yeah, we still need to know way more about, you know, sifo Like, yeah, you see him in Clone Wars, but it is a very confusing scene. Like, I, that's, I, I think people look at that, they're like, oh, great, we, we touched on that. Oh, now we know that uh, Sifo-Dyas and Tyrannus are connected because Count Dooku's Tyrannus. Great, now Obi-Wan and Anakin know that. But that's that's really it. You could see some really interesting things from the CIS perspective. You could see a lot of those people who are maybe have really good reasons. Like we see with Andor and his family to not want to be part of the Republic and how Dooku becomes a huge figure there. We could see Grievous right in comics or whatever become transformed like he does in legends into this monster of machinations right like there's mm -hmm. so much you can do with like the catalog of evil but you could also just build the infrastructure out that was you know introduced in it's i guess prime or full functionality like the mandalorians and everything too like could we have that era also touching on what the jedi no the the mandalorian civil war was like right what the effects of a pre like what is a pre Vizsla really doing at this point before he leaves uh mm -hmm. yeah satine right like there's a lot there and you could still have an entirely original storyline with an original character and to still be the lead while being able to interact almost like a clone wars-esque uh lineup right uh, yeah caleb i would love that the more i think about it it has always been an era that even with those junior novels and all those little tie-ins in legends i felt was vastly underexplored you can still have our big three characters affect each other right and we can always obviously we need to see anakin and obi-wan and canon but we can still see the effect of those two on padme and padme on those two and vice versa before actually meeting each other like mm -hmm. we have social media today and all this and that you don't think like a senator has an influence in the star wars galaxy to be like something i do is affecting how jedi operate in the galaxy or the Jedi are doing something that changed my part. You can still have those stories happen without having them directly meet each other. So, yeah, I, I, w I would love as much of, you know, our characters that we see in two and three really grow up. And I'd love to see our villains be introduced. And I'd love to see entirely new stories there. Because, hey, if we can have a bounty hunters line, I'm sure we can have something like that in the episode one, two gap and build out the underworld there, which is so mm -hmm. untouched so untouched yeah and we i mean one of the biggest characters who has very little in canon who was like probably the main character of that whole timeline was quinlan voss and we have seen <laughs> barely any quinlan voss so give us quinlan voss in that timeline as well and and Sifo-Dyas needs to be one of the main characters of the next tales of the jedi uh yeah. shorts when that comes yes. out he's absolutely essential if you want to do more dooku you could do dooku post um post phantom menace and also do some flashbacks in that on the whole sifo-dyas thing ripe with material especially and also the years leading up to phantom menace there's so much to do 
David Fieldson says Vader hallway scene. I think that was in reference to when we were talking about Rogue One earlier. Awesome scene. Caleb Richardson says, I wouldn't mind an aftermath trilogy following Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and Saw Gerrera in the first few years following episode three. That would be great setup backstory for Andor. That would be cool. I want more Mon Mothma immediately post yeah. Revenge of the Sith, especially because I feel like Saw Gerrera, a lot of his story seems to be hinting at and touched on in Bad Batch. Bail Organa has also been sprinkled through Tales of the Jedi, the Ahsoka book, Rebels. There's been a lot of material with him, although there could always be more. But a, maybe a book centering around Mon Mothma with the other characters all intersecting, Luthan Rail as well. Uh, that would be pretty sweet. I want to see Luthan if he was always this shopkeeper, right? If his personality was always like it is, because <laughs> there's a lot that goes into a man being able to like be like thousands of levels down in Coruscant and giving such a blistering speech that it's colder and windier than the actual environment that you're in, right? And forcing someone to be willing to take all these sacrifices because his sacrifices are greater, right? I think people will get this idea that he's a rebel leader. No, but he's not. He's the one who's setting the stage for Amon Mothma and everyone else to really operate, to really be able to grow into a little bit more of like that publicly accepted, spoken about rebellion, right? He's closer to Saw Gerrera than anyone else. And even then, he doesn't really love Saw, right? Like, we can... I want to see how he becomes that man. Is there, like, an inciting action? Is he someone who's always been disillusioned by, like... Was he a part of the CIS? Was he part of, like, the early days of trade in the prequel era? Or, like, was he there to witness the end of the High Republic era with his family or something? Like, there is so much you can do with him... You could still leave a mystery, don't get me wrong, but I, I would love to know a little bit more about his origins. Definitely. David Fieldson says, I want an R-rated Darth Bane series. I want that too. I want anything Darth saying. Bane. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we'll ever get our R-rated Star Wars, but we can get... The nice thing about Star Wars, right, is to cross over into R-rating for Star Wars, you would have to get insanely brutal because lightsabers cauterize blood and wounds. So you could have a show that has tons of dismemberment and violence and it most most likely not get an R or an MA rating. So you can do ultra-violent Bane, dark side stuff, and unless it's like really sadistic or there's swearing or nudity, you're going to be fine. So give us that, that edgy Bane show. Absolutely agree. And I, he's very different visually in Clone Wars than he is in the Darth Bane trilogy. Is there some way of like merging those two like post removal of the basilic armor is that what he wears and it's like a sith artifact of some sort that goes to the old republic era right of his heroes like revan and all that like there is there is a lot with that character that visually is just as appealing with his one specter appearance that i want to you know dig deeper into because yeah i wouldn't mind a one-to-one -one, honestly that's still quite solid but that armor is also just as fascinating to me as the obelisk one too. I love that armor. I think it's better. Like I love the orbalisk stuff. Like I want the orbalisk to still be a part of his story. I think it's an interesting concept for Bane. Um, but if that's the armor he wears post orbalisk because his body's weak and infirm, or if it's something he wears because the orbalisks are ugly, then uh, I think that's also cool. The mask is way cooler than original Bane mask with the Orbalist yeah. armor. Um, so definitely want to see that. 
I lost where we were. Travis says, I feel like Solo underperformed due to taking so many well-established characters and recasting all of them so soon after Han died. Rogue One is new characters, so less polarizing. I think that's a contributing factor, Travis. I, I, I still think that's something that Lucasfilm is concerned about moving forward with recasting. I, I'm shocked with how often I see on the internet people clamoring for recasting with with uh, Han, Luke, and Leia uh, because Solo is that like weird movie to where it didn't get great critical reviews. It wasn't highly seen at the box office and maybe it's just because people had low expectations when they eventually watched it but for the most part people seem to enjoy it more than uh, myself or even Sonic does <laughs> um, and that's surprising because there's a large there's a large audience of people who are legends only people who really like solo, even though it retcons a ton of stuff from AC Crispin's seminal on solo trilogy. Um, so I find that a really fascinating thing. And there's also a lot of people who are legends only fans who are like, don't put Ahsoka or Ezra or Sabine in this, the throne adaptation. It should be Luke, Leia and Han and we should recast them. But I feel like those people also were very anti Han being recast when it came out. I don't know. I'm 50-50 on it. I'm at the point to where we've done it. The Band-Aid's been ripped off. I'm okay with it. Um, but again, I would prefer that story told in books because that's the way you don't have to recast and you can do whatever you want. There's no limitations. Uh, but I do think if you told enough story with Han, Leia, uh, and Luke, then we can start to see these characters as the same types of people it's one thing when you have one movie there's there's five appearances from han solo as harrison ford six if you count the holiday special <laughs> and then you have one appearance of alden ehrenreich as, as han solo that's when it, he feels like a completely different character is because we haven't seen anything else from him it's like this outlier right it doesn't doesn't exist with the rest of the universe and it also takes place 10 years before a new hope so if you really wanted to you don't have to watch that you can just move into a new hope and so i think we need more seminal story if you're going to recast don't give them side stories or origin stories or things that don't feel as important for the character growth yeah. give them really important high stakes stories and if you do so i think most people would get on board as long as the casting is good yeah, I mean, look, if you've seen the deep fake videos of Alden with Harrison Ford's face from his performance um, in Solo Star Wars Story, his expressions and mannerism are spot on, right? Like, it's very hard to get Harrison Ford right. Half of his face is always frowning, right? But uh, he, he, he nails it, right? It, I genuinely think if they used maybe some prosthetics or something, it would have been even better, right? They just chose not to. Uh, I don't know if it was because they thought it was limiting or whatever. But then there's also that really interesting thing that like before Solo came out, a lot of people wanted to see Anthony Ingruber, who was in a film with Harrison Ford where he played a younger version, right? And I was, I, I even managed to send him some questions when I was like part of like the forum staff for Star Wars Newsnet and like what his thoughts are like, are you working towards that? And he was very like non-committal, but he was in some ways in the running. I think the issue is like, you know, there was a bunch of other bigger actors that were ahead of him he's not anywhere near a big actor he's a lot more voice acting he's on like telltale batman and stuff like that but yeah like i if we had seen him as han 
I think people would have been like, no, I'm that clicks for me. That looks like Harrison Ford in a New Hope a little younger. Um, yeah. And strangely enough, I just checked it up, but I didn't realize, but he was the body double for the 30 minute sequence at the start yeah. of Dial of Destiny. Um, so that also makes me a little confused about why some of like, like when he, uh, Han, uh, not Han, uh, Indy is like escaping his hanging, right? Like the, the, some yeah. of the deep fake doesn't work perfectly there, but I'm like, did he really need that much there? It's right. He's pretty close to the guy. He's, you just have to age could have done a wide anyway. shot. Yeah. And then not used as much deep fake. You're right. Like he is still at age 33 younger looking than Harrison Ford was at that point. I mean, makeup <laughs> and Hollywood standards, all this and that, right? Like he, he could have done that. Um, he would also very clearly in my mind have just become like the Harrison replacement that a studio could control, right? Like Lucasfilm being like, okay, we're not going to throw as much money to you because you're just playing the part that was Harrison's. But, you know, well, because you're so close and spot on to his look and you can do his voice pretty well, yeah, you know, you'll be in a lot more projects and all that. And I think if we got in like a Han Solo show as opposed to a Han Solo movie, then I think we would have gone with Ingruber. I think that would have hit harder. Uh, now that we committed to Alden, you're there with him. And I, maybe they like add some prosthetics as he ages into that role in the next 10 years, right? Uh, if he ever comes back. like he, He's had a fantastic resurgence recently, especially with his role in Oppenheimer being one of like the more standout supporting characters. Yeah, it's it, it's a tough one. I, I can't say recast thing is off the table for me now because yeah like you said Banny has been ripped off now and i think whoever you go come in with should be as close as possible and you should just use every tool possible to make them feel like hey i'm seeing carrie fisher hey i'm seeing mark hamill like they were back in the 80s uh, it's gonna be harder with han solo now but i don't think we really need too much more because han is 10 years older than them so i can yeah. live with that but now that we're in the era where they are who they are you have to be spot on. But is deep fake their way to go? Not really. Should we do CGI like we did in Rogue One with Tarkin while we're using a mocap face? Uh, I don't know. I, I thought that still holds up really well, but do people want that? That still is a little lifeless at times. I don't know how much you can do in like what the nine, ten years since that movie yeah. was in production. A recast just seems easier. Sebastian Stan is almost old, too old for it now if you want to have a <laughs> name behind it. I don't know. I, I still will go recast. I'm, I think at this point, it'll be easier for me to just get used to it. If they use like a CGI, like a nose or whatever, or like you tweak the eyes and whatnot, and both the original actors and their families and uh, the current actors agree to it, I think that's fine. The, the whole big thing with the actors and writers strikes right now is for the actors, especially AI, copies of their face and all this and that. Like, are we... How does uh, Lucasfilm's like deep fake and masking fit into that equation? Is that out of those boundaries? Is that something they have to work into now? It's, it's too many questions when you start thinking about it. And there's too many methodologies that are viable. But at the end of the day, if I had a choice, I want them to be in shows, in movies, and I need them to be recast if they're going to be active players. If they're going to have like the Luke appearances that we've gotten out of Mando and Book of Boba Fett, I'm fine with deep big there, but if you're gonna make them like a lead character, you just gotta do it. And, and you know, some people will never love it, but I'd rather take that than not to have it. 
I agree. If you're going to put them in a show, I think you have to recast. It's the only way to ca really capture human emotion. If you're, I would still prefer books and animation over recasting. I would also still prefer books and animation over deep fake. But if you are only doing a couple scenes, if Luke shows up to talk one time, if Leia shows up to talk in one scene, or if they show up for the big battle, I'm completely cool with deep fake. I'm very happy with the Book of Boba Fett deep fake for Luke. I think it's only going to get better. Might as well um, for the Thrawn stuff. But if you really do want to make the main characters, I would prefer recast. Uh, we're going to wrap up here, I think, around an hour and a half, Mark. We're at an hour and 15 minutes, so another 15 more minutes of questions. I know we have a ton to try to get through here. If you want to make sure you do get your question on this stream, make sure you send in a super chat. It would greatly help the channel. If not, we will try to get through all your questions as fast as possible here. Uh, Unorthodox Jedi 127 says, Hello there, Star Wars lads. Long time, no talk. I'm happy to see you guys again. Do you guys think Jedi Survivor was the best Star Wars content and story of 2023? Well, funny you bring that up as well. I'm not going to give a clarified answer here because we do have a video coming out. We do every single year where we do our top 10 of the year. Top 10 Star Wars stories, including books, comics, video games, movies, and shows. Uh, so stay, keep an eye out for that. I won't reveal what, uh, what my number one is. We're going to do it the same way we did the Star Wars movie rankings we just did on the channel. If you caught that video where Sonic and I are going to create our individual lists, you'll be able to see those. And then uh, based on where we rank them, we'll create a joint top 10. Uh, that's the official one for the channel. But I would say Jedi Survivor is definitely at the top of it. I, I think writing-wise, it's a very strong story. Um, Survivor has to contend with something that the films and shows don't have to contend with, which is that as a product... Uh, it did have a lot of flaws as a video game with its with its technical problems a lot, a, a lot excuse me at launch, but they fixed a lot of it now and it's a great game. I think gameplay wise, it's so much better than Survivor. Um, story is similar. I don't think it's as great as a of a character story as Survivor was, but for lore and expansion, I really love what it did. Um, or as yeah, as Fallen Order was, but. Yeah. For lore and expansion, I, I do really love what it did uh, tying in the High Republic, going with Tantalor and this whole like new era area of Star Wars. Um, there's a lot of really cool things it did that I liked that it was it was different. Uh, biggest complaint about Fallen Order was that it was too similar to a million things I've seen in Star Wars before, even if the character stuff was really strong. So uh, yeah, definitely amongst the top of my favorite Star Wars stuff of 2023. Same thoughts there. I would say that for me personally, I do like watching as opposed to playing. And it was a great experience. But yes, with the bugs and everything that did mar my feelings a bit, I started Fall in Order a little bit after those initial bugs were gone, like two, three weeks after launch, versus where Survivor was day one. I was on there on PC. And surprisingly, the PC one was better than the consoles. Uh, but still, like as you could see in some of our playthroughs and all that, it was a bit buggy, especially as we began. And there's a little bit of a feeling that like as strong as the writing was in Survivor, and as original as it felt, and with like so many new locales and you know potentials for what's coming next in like a trilogy capper, uh, there was that little bit of a feeling to me that 
maybe the ending like third was a little too rushed like there's some stuff with the imperials on that asteroid that i think you could have spent a lot more time on with the twist that happens just before you could have given us two more hours and i think you would have landed a lot more smoothly it still works uh but i think that rushed ending for me limits just how strong of an ending it is versus fallen order has such an iconic ending and you're building into something that's so dangerous and warped and then there's another level to once vader appears right so uh you know there's i think the stories are both quite solid i still think survivors better but it feels very much like the sins of a middle chapter of like not being exactly sure where we're going to finish our story when a middle chapter can kind of stand on its own quite well and still be connected to the beginning and then be ready for what's coming next like a rising storm in the high republic phase one for example i love that story more survivor doesn't exactly hit that same mark for me but it comes close so yeah you'll see on our list pretty soon Caleb says the reason Solo flopped was because it came out so soon after The Last Jedi. There wasn't enough time between movies and the box office was cannibalized. It's another contributing factor. I think Solo, you can't just point to one thing for Solo. Uh, the, the recast, it's too close to The Last Jedi. I think by far the biggest factor is the lack of marketing. The first trailer came out on Super Bowl, which is beginning of February, and the movie came out at the end of May. So it had a little over three months of marketing. <laughs> for a massive temple movie when usually star wars the force awakens the first teaser came out over a year before the movie came out usually we get a first teaser for these movies at least nine months to 12 months before the movie comes out this uh, solo uh, especially with a movie uh, like travis mentioned with recasting you got to convince people this is han you got to convince people to see it why should they go see this young han solo movie uh new new versions of the characters you have to convince them the marketing wasn't good enough. Uh, why should I go see another Star Wars movie after I just saw The Last Jedi? And especially amongst the controversy that was The Last Jedi, you had to convince them. And I think overall the marketing is the main reason the movie didn't do as well. More so than the date, more so than the recasting. But I think that's a variety of factors. And and just frankly, because the critic reviews weren't great, audiences, audiences have grown on Solo. When it came out, people were not saying it was this incredible film. So I think it was all of the above, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I to add to that, right, what is Disney's other big thing going on in 2018? MCU was in its peak. We're running into Infinity yeah. War, right? And its first film around the same time as The Last Jedi was Black Panther, which was a cultural phenomenon, right? And then you get into Infinity War, which is another huge step up. The Last Jedi, with its dialogue and discussion and discourse, right, I, it should have no matter what prompted solo being pushed back like the and i don't think it was ever a smart idea to have a six month gap you can do that with shows you can't do that with a film that has no connection either with the sequel trilogy at that point and is no matter what how good it is a significant step down and right like star wars action and storytelling so a lot of factors a lot of factors and in that and what i said there is just another one if you're a fan yeah. of disney what are you watching that year mcu Right, yeah, it was about a month after Infinity War came out that yeah. that Solo came out. And on top of that as well, uh, I believe shortly after The Rise of Skywalker got announced to be pushed back to December of 2019. So I know they were trying to release it in May because 
the Rise of Skywalker was originally supposed to come out in May, and they were trying to create this like reemergence of Memorial Day weekend being the Star Wars center point. Um, and they were starting that with Solo. But I think uh, if they would have known for sure that Rise of Skywalker was going to get pushed back to December, they should have just pushed Solo back to December. Uh, and I think it would have beat the big December movie of 2018, I'm pretty sure, was Aquaman. And that didn't do yeah. amazing in the U.S. It did incredible over in China. So I think Solo would have done really strongly over here. Yeah. Uh, Battersize says there's a lot of talk about Sabine using the Force and Filoni's exp explanation. How do you understand it? I thought everyone has midichlorians, but only if you have certain numbers can you use the Force. So it's not totally up to training. That is the big question. I don't think there's really a satisfactory answer for it. If you want to look at Legends, especially pre-Phantom Menace, most of the time, it was like any character who's the main character of your story suddenly randomly has the Force. And I feel like that's a lot of what Sabine is born out of here, having the Force. Um, they could go... One of the things I think they're going to end up doing uh, to justify the Sabine thing, and uh, I think it would add an interesting layer to the Mandalorians, is go back and say, like, the Mandalorians, as a race, as a people, they all have an, a pretty decently high midichlorian count they all have an aptitude of, to use the force but being like an ancient enemy of the jedi only a few have ever actually decided to embrace that they've all kind of fought against it i think especially when you see like something like the path of the open hand a lot of the ideas going against the force as like a religious thing um you could tie that into like mandalorian culture being like no we're warrior people we don't need help from some mystical entity um i think that's what they're going to end up doing and maybe in mandalorian season four they can explain that that would be my personal theory for pushing the midichlorian count of sabine um but as it stands now post prequels right um it doesn't really ever it's never really explained what midichlorian number you need to have the ability to control the force we just know that anakin had more midichlorians than yoda which made him like in theory more powerful than yoda with the force um, so i don't have a great answer for you betasai i just think that sabine must have had a number that was sufficient enough to use the force but she would she would have not really been picked by the jedi because of the number was right on that border uh if the order was still around and because she worked on it for nearly 10 years <laughs> we know that She's eventually able to do it in a high-stress situation. Most of the time when Force abilities do come out, like Luke with the Wampa, he's able to Force-pull the lightsaber because he's about to get eaten by a Wampa. It just happens. I'm not going to really defend it. I still am very mixed about Sabine's ability to use the Force. I think in general, in the sense of the story, it was something that felt earned in the story itself. I don't think... A lot of people try to say it came out of nowhere. The whole show is built up to it. Um but I still would have preferred her to not have the force. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I get like, you know, there's that training sequence where Kanan is like, oh, like she's like blocking herself off and people are like, oh, like there's your proof right there. Like it was always like in his mind and maybe it was. Filoni is also an admitted Legends fan, so he probably is like, oh, this is a chance for me to elevate another <laughs> one of my characters a bit further ahead. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's tough. I think... 
you have to also understand that midichlorians are microorganisms in their own way. So, like you're saying, I, I really like that idea, Liam, of like, you know, like a genetic history of Mandalorians fighting against like something that they're as a, like they're not a species, but like as a warrior culture and predominantly humans, uh, you know, could have been like, and they could have you know had some mixing with like the Mandalorians of the Legends era, right? Of uh, like prehistoric Mandalorians and all that. We don't know if they were more tied to the force and that's why they had incredible abilities and could like hunt down dragons and all that stuff right like there, there could be some really interesting things tar Vizsla presumably had kids because there's the Vizsla family right so that could have also definitely maybe brought about an era of like mandalorians that were like super powerful um who are all like kind of like sabine like star wars squibs in a way right where they can use the force for like in moments of desperation the force flows through them and their luck and their capabilities and the jedi or sith or whoever they go up against are like we gotta knock out this like group of people and minimize them right there there's there's a lot of star wars that could explain this um i but how i look at it is that people hated midichlorians when it came out we never really did but it does take away from the spirituality of the force especially that filoni really worked on in rebels so maybe this is his way of being like let's make it a little bit blurry, a little fuzzy, maybe make the midichlorians, you know, maybe it is a number count, but maybe if you're on the border, it's like a 50-50 chance. Let's make it as, like, mysterious and blurry, right? Like, like let, let's give them this scientific being, this creature that's been studied, a little bit more agency to screw around with who has it or who doesn't have the force. I think the intention is to force an uneasy truce between science and spirituality here um if that's ever explored it would have been by lucas with his microbiotic sequel trilogy a comment but and the wills maybe being connected but i think as it is now it's just the way to put the on the bubble folks um and a little bit of a will they won't they situation caleb richardson says alphabet squadron is a great rogue squadron like book series it's very different though i've yeah, i've read two-thirds of it it is it's the same in the sense that it's about pilots but it the rogue squadron is mostly fun uh even even the darker books like the third one um they're dark but like not as dark as alphabet squadron where all of the characters are these broken ex-imperials or early, <laughs> early rebellion characters who all hate each other and they all have to you know they're going and talking to therapy droids all those types of things it is very much so a more grounded realistic dark war book series but it is it's good and underrated i've now read two-thirds of it really liked both books and i can't wait to read the third one because i've heard it's the best uh, travis mitchell says i think the black widow film kind of enforced that people don't care about prequels to major characters they just saw die had it been the first disney star wars film i think it would fare better uh and then i was trying to see if your second question had anything to do with this one i do remember being taken out of the beginning of the aftermath boom when he described Coruscant security corps cops and their speeder as cruisers yeah that was that was back to the comment i mentioned earlier about some of the language yeah. of chuck windig in the aftermath series uh, but back to black widow i think that's an interesting point it's a good point and i do think um it's a harder sell for sure especially with a character like black widow with the mcu um i think i thought black widow would be successful no matter what being the first thing back from the pandemic for the MCU. And I guess it was relatively successful for being basically the first high profile summer release of that year. Um, but I, I 
don't think the movie was good enough. Like, I think Solo is a better movie than Black Widow. So it is hard to compare, but both, I feel like, are lesser products than they could have been. I think, in general, the quality. For characters, people know if there's a quality film, a high-quality film, people will be interested no matter what. Uh, but I think especially for Black Widow, it didn't really make sense to do the movie after she died. Um, but for Han, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I just think, especially because when the movie came out, it had been all, two and a half years, almost three years since Han had died. So um, there was a little bit of separation. But you could be yeah. right. You could be onto something there. Yeah, the only thing I'd say there is that a better film makes it more likely that it does well. But COVID also... How, do, how are people really engaging with coming back to the MCU at that point, right? We don't have a real analysis or study yet. Hopefully Disney does moving forward to improve their shows and movies. Um, but Ike Permalter is the reason why we didn't have a Black Widow film. He didn't want any, he didn't even want Black Widow in the lineup for the original Avengers film because he's like, it's, we're selling it to 30-year-old men who are collecting toys, right? It's like, well, she's still an important character. Maybe that film would have been more like a black widow and hawkeye film uh so that way you could have those two characters still be important and kind of split the time without being like well you're not a god or like a technological genius or a super soldier but it was going to happen i think prequels are fine but if you're going to come after yeah they have to be like really good and make you think about what you just saw a different way and there's nothing about black widow that makes you think about it a different way you just know more about her (laughs) right yeah, Black Widow was kind of caught in between because uh, Marvel didn't really start approaching into like genre style films until Winter Soldier. And yeah. she was a part of that and it was a huge success. And then after that, they're like, okay, let's kind of pick a subgenre for every one of our movies now. Ant Man will be a heist movie. And uh, Civil War is like a, a character war story, political movie. All, so they started doing that after after her story was kind of already in full swing. And I feel like she, she yeah. wasn't a big enough character to do it before winter soldier, but after winter soldier, you could have tried to fit in a story, but they couldn't. And then they decided to do it after she died, which didn't really make any sense. Okay. Last question here. It's from Chris who says just discovered our channel a few days ago and is a huge fan already. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad you're enjoying the content. What are you guys' favorite media franchises outside of star Wars? I keep seeing a massive Marvel Omni collection in your video. Yes, it's it's right over here, um, <laughs> on my on my other channel too. I guess short plug for uh, Legends lore. Um, you can check that out. It's linked to our channel. I'm gonna do a, a bookshelf tour of of the omnibus and trade paperbacks here soon. Uh, anyway, favorite franchises outside Star Wars. Um, for me, it's pretty easy when it comes to my second favorite franchise, which despite the, the Marvel Omnibus collection, I have a, a big DC Omnibus collection on the other side of the room. And uh, DC Comics has always been my second favorite. Batman has always been one of my favorite fictional superheroes. I know that's pretty um, mainstream, pretty common answer, but uh, I do love DC Comics. I grew up with the DC animated movies and shows um, with Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Batman and Superman, the animated series. So that was kind of my, honestly, that was my first like franchise love before I even saw Star Wars. But Star Wars was the thing that really hit me the first time I saw it. Um, As for film, my favorite film series outside of Star Wars is easily Lord of the Rings. Uh, It's the best movie trilogy, I think, of all time. And I am a pretty big fan of the first Hobbit as well. Um, I do love living in Middle Earth. And so that is, is one of my favorites. 
Um, but I, I consume like all franchises. Marvel is up there. MCU less, I've been less excited about the MCU recently, but I was a huge MCU fan when it's coming out. I've read a ton of Marvel as you can see. So, um, I am a big Marvel comics fan. I'm trying to think of something else right now. <laughs> Randomly. I'm binge. I've been binge watching all the Godzilla movies <laughs> and I'm on, I have six left. So, uh, that's been really fun. Minus one is so good. Like so good. You guys should check it out. Definitely worth your time. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got some knowledge and some love of almost any franchise, but I would say star Wars, DC, Lord of the Rings, Marvel would be my probably top four. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like movies, like this year, I've been watching a lot of the Scream movies. Um, now I feel a little less compelled with Scream 7 now being blown up, but I'm going to finish 6 soon. Uh, and then uh, Mission Impossible, I caught up with that and that that's pretty fun. But the ones, I used to be a big Pokemon fan back in the day, but once I came to like 5th gen, I was so hyped for it, writing notes and everything down. And then, I don't know, I just played the game and I, I guess something about like the grind or something, my like getting into my later teenage years i was just like i i don't know it wasn't for me and then i tried to revitalize it in college and it just lack of time or lack of care i just never really got back into it um i'm, I'm very into what since like a pandemic started reading wheel of time and watching wheel of time uh that's like a 14 book series with the prequel book and it's finished the second season on amazon which was really great the first season is a little bit hit or miss in some areas but still solid for fantasy um, ironically could be like the biggest it's most stable fantasy show out there besides house of dragon right now um house of the dragon but uh game of thrones could have been a one for me but uh, season eight was just ugh, after season eight of game of thrones i just haven't even bought house of the dragon uh lord of the rings i got really into i've never seen the theatrical cuts i've only seen the extended edition so i feel uh, there was like a, some screenings at a uh, local art house cinema that i was going to go to but i was like i just saw them like three weeks ago i can't do this <laughs> again to myself um for hobbit yeah i don't like the hobbit i watched the first one in theaters for like a book report but I'm, you know and this is before i watched lord of the rings or anything either so i was like oh okay that's good but then i heard two and three are bad but after i got in lord of the rings i found this fan edit called the m4 book edit so if you want to look that up that's like book specific has some cgi to get rid of some weird moments in the film and like to insert characters where they should have been. Um, people really love that. And I think that's how I consume it. Whenever I watch the trilogy, big fan of Dune, right? I'm, Dune part two should have been out right now. And I'm, I'm so sad because that movie is going to be a revelation. It's just like the first one was, um, uh, but that's March. I'll be back in full swing. And I'm reading the original Herbert books, the Frank Herbert books. I'm not reading his son and Kevin J Anderson. That just gets a little too much for me at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of MCU, like Liam, maybe not as intensely, specifically a fan of uh, a lot of the, what is it, the Superman and Batman, like, stuff together, like the films, the animated films that they have together, some of the series, not so much all of the, like, Justice League and all that, like, I do like it, I watch the shows and everything, but I really like the Batman-verse, like, Batman Beyond and all that, um, mm -hmm. Calvin and Hobbes, if you want to put another like franchise out there, I have the whole collection, every book, and I'm thinking about maybe even buying like the hardcover ones. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot too. out there, but uh, <laughs> if I have to choose two right now that I'm like fully focused on, it's like Wheel of Time and Dune for sure. Yeah, fran I mean, franchises, 
you know, they're, they're really fun to explore, especially with film. I and mean, film will always, first and foremost, be my favorite thing in terms of media. I love movies. And so I can constantly consume that. Um, I've had so much fun going through the entire Godzilla franchise. It's the biggest film franchise ever. So it's been really cool doing that. I did James Bond a few years ago and enjoyed that. So uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th this year, Halloween last year. So those are always really fun. Um, I did, I did want to also mention Pokemon. I love Pokemon. <laughs> uh, Mario. Yeah, video games, I always forget about video games as kind of like a franchise you know like i always think of like yeah. cross like what's crossed over into film um but yeah i love legend of zelda and pokemon those are probably my two favorite video game franchises but yeah we love everything we're very well versed in a variety of stuff here on the channel and we're we are planning we still haven't done it i know we've talked about it a lot but we are eventually going to do our kind of non-star warsy show where we talk about a bunch of other random stuff uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this stream this was a much longer one the last time but we tried to get all your questions in and there was a ton of big news stories to talk about so hopefully you liked it thanks so much for watching again stay tuned if more news stories come out we'll keep doing these as as there's actually something to talk about available uh, so stay tuned and we'll let you know always video game live streams and live q a if you just found us like like uh chris if you just found these live streams we do one live stream for sure every single monday where we play a game right now we're playing both kotor and battlefront 2 and you can ask us anything you want about any topics so join us on monday for the next stream you can also stay tuned for some more videos sonic does have another video here coming in the future about the first volume of Kieran Gillen's Vader line went for his uh, Star Wars comics summarized series. And then History of the Star Wars franchise part five is coming soon. So make sure you stay tuned for that as well. Um, we might have some random book reviews here in the future for you guys too. Thank you so much for watching this video and we will see you all next time.